Hi guys, welcome back to the Perfect Hat Trick Podcast. I'm your host, Taron. To all my old listeners, welcome back to the pod. And to all my new listeners, hope you enjoy and you come back again. Today, I have a really special podcast lined up. I have Marius Fisher on the pod. Marius, how are you doing today? And do you want to tell our listeners a bit about what you do for a living and why you're on the pod today? Yeah, hello. Thank you for the invitation. Um, yeah, I thought uh, not not long ago I was on an English podcast a lot of times because yeah Tuchel went to Chelsea um yeah I thought I should have a break for some weeks but yeah now I'm here another English podcast it's not always easy for me because I'm German but I try my best um yeah you can find me on Twitter as uh, gegenpressing91 I do some uh, yeah football visualizations there mainly um yeah I'm a part-time analyst at the at the Russian Football League and yeah my my main job is I'm a football editorial in in Germany so yeah quite a lot to do with football and yeah I enjoy talking about it obviously yeah yeah that's really cool but I, I just want to say your English is actually really good I don't know why you think that your English is not good because I've heard you on a lot of podcasts saying about your English I, I think it's <laughs> yeah. I think it's perfect tell that my English teacher from 10 years ago yeah big up your English teacher from 10 years ago we're just going to get straight into the podcast but I just want to ask Arvin how are you doing today mate yeah I'm doing well excited to have Maris on the podcast so yeah, I'll go on to the first topic, straight on to it. So, Maris, I want to discuss someone that's obviously been the main topic on a lot of the podcasts you were invited into. I just want to talk about, obviously, Thomas Tuchel. He he started off as Chelsea manager only three weeks ago. We've seen huge changes with, with the Chelsea team already. I'm already in awe of the way he kind of manages the players. I see him going up to N'Golo Kante and, like, dancing with him. I'm like, what? Are you, are you serious? Yeah. So five wins out of six so far. For, for Thomas Tuchel, five ends out of six, and he's already improved us quite a lot. So how would you describe Thomas Tuchel's first few games as a manager, that tactically and his man management? Yeah, I mean, even though I'm an Arsenal supporter, I was quite, let's say, um, pleased that he won the first games <laughs> because otherwise all the stuff I told in the podcast would fire back to me because, I mean, I praised him <laughs> a lot in the podcast and if Chelsea lost every game, I think the people thought, what was he talking about? So, um, of course, I mean, the schedule helped him, of course. There were no real hard games. I think even, um, yeah, even the Spurs game was not that hard. It was hard, but Spurs were not really in a good form. So um, he had quite a good start. Um, but I think, the, yeah, the change was obvious. I mean, um, a lot of more possession for Chelsea. Um, a, a, a higher tempo, I think that was a thing that was lacking with, with Lampard, the tempo in the in a possession. I mean, they had a lot of possession with Lampard in charge, but yeah, it was just too slow. The pace was not up to it, so they couldn't break down these um, deep blocks. And I think um, they faced a lot of defensive teams so far with Wolves, who, who built with 10 at the back, uh, Newcastle, of course. Um, they did not score five or six goals, but I mean, it was never really in doubt that they would win these games because you just felt in, in 10 minutes, in 15 minutes, a goal would come and the goals came. So, um, yeah, I think that was a big, big difference to the Lampard time that really the pace was higher so they could break down these um, deep defenses more. Um, and, yeah, there were some players who really flourish now with Tuchel. Um, Kovacic is playing great. Um, even Jorginho, who the fan base of Chelsea did not really like in the past. But, I mean, you can't deny that he's quite a good fit for Tuchel's system because, um, yeah, he's just, yeah, he's, he's getting the ball. Um, he's bringing it up to the, to the offensive players who then can create chances. 
So um, even even Kepa, when he was playing, looked a bit more full of confidence than he were in the past. So um, I would not rule out Kepa playing a role under Tuchel. Um, so yeah, I think that's positive news for Chelsea fans. And as you told, the, the man management of Tuchel always been on point. Um, I think there are a lot of young players who, who who can really improve under him, because yeah, he has a he has a good connection to the players. He is like like their friend on the one hand, but he also is um yeah he, they they respect him because he's really competent. He knows what he's talking about. So um yeah, it's a good mixture between being being a friend of the players, which is quite important in modern times, but also has to have the respect of the players. And I think he combines that quite well and yeah these scenes with Kante of course they they confirm it yeah no I 100% agree like with Jorginho under under Frank Lampard I thought that the system that he was being played in he was just exposed of all his flaws instead of instead of like going of his attributes they're actually really good his short passing his link up play in the middle with with Kovacic has really improved how would you say that that Tuchel has worked with Hudson-Odoi and Mason Mount how would you how would you say he's improved their game so far yeah, I think no one would thought that Hudson Odoi would be a great wing back. But um, yeah, I think um, what I always said, Tuchel is never shy to come up with surprises. So you never really know um, what Tuchel will come up with. So um, if I if I play Premier League Fantasy League, I wouldn't take any Chelsea player because you never know who Tuchel will play. So um, <laughs> yeah, we saw that with Hudson Odoi. Suddenly he's playing on as a white wing back. Which was never his his original position, but um, yeah, you see, he can play because it adds a whole new dimension to his game. I mean, he he needs to learn some defensive positioning, but um, yeah, you see, he's he's learning it in one or two games already. He's improving drastically. Um, yeah, the same with Mason Mount. I think um, Tuchel allowed him a lot of freedom um, so far. I mean, um, that's what I said all the time that Tuchel is quite strict with the system so he demands um, a lot from the players to have the tactical discipline but in the final third he allows them to really flourish so they they should they should show their creativity in the final third and I think this is a big thing that Mason Mount is about when he gets the ball into the final third he really can create and I think this is the main target for Tuchel to bring Mason Mount and bring Hudson Odoi and Harvard into the final third with space so they can really create so um yeah i'm excited how how it will play out so if if he really sees hudson boy in future on this position or even if he would uh, draw him further up as a, as a real winger uh, because i think he's still not found his perfect formation so far too there's a lot of playing around with Giroud, with werner with pulisic so i'm not sure if he found his best 11 yet but um, yeah, there are a lot of players who proved a point where the fans did not really think they, they can play a role anymore. So yeah, I think there are 16, 17 players who really have a chance to start for him in the next few weeks. So it will be interesting to see. Yeah, no, 100%. With, with Tuka, we've seen that. He's brought a lot of the fringe players back into the team. Your likes of Antonio Rudiger, Jorginho, who really wasn't starting under Frank Lampard. 
maybe a few Champions League games here and there. And he's brought these players back in. And I feel like that's lifted the morale of the whole team to kind of make the training a little bit more friendly and all the players kind of gel a little bit more on the, on the training ground, which ultimately will make the games easier to play because the players are more friendly with each other. But yeah, he's done he's done wonders with, with the players, I think, so far. His man management has been on point. But yeah, I think Arvin's going to move on to the a little bit about other managers now, isn't it, Arvin? Yeah, I'd just like to touch on Tuchel more specifically on German managers, um, Marius. Now, German managers, I saw last last season, UEFA ranked uh, their managers and the top four were Hansi Flick, Julian Nagelsmann, uh, Thomas Tuchel and Jürgen Klopp. Now, could you tell me what separates German managers from other managers in the world? Because right now, German managers are at a point where they're dominating Europe. Well, um. I get this asked a lot because a lot of foreign people, yeah, they're quite jealous of the German coaching, yeah, um, yeah philosophy. But um, I'm not 100% sure if it's not just, let's say, a purple patch. Because um, mm. what is good in Germany, I think um, in Germany we broke up this all thinking that coaches have to had to be good players. I think that was a narrative for many many years you had oh, to yeah. be a good player an elite player to be a good coach i think this is breaking up all around the world but i think germany mm. was quite early with it so if you look mm. at nagelsmann at tuchel they are not coaches um, for one year now i think they started coaching many years ago so i think mm. it's in germany the case for let's say eight to ten years that coaches who were no elite players really have a chance to get into yeah. the business it, it's not easy so there are still a lot of coaches who who just got you think why did they get this job and you look at their playing mm. experience you see okay they were a good player at this club so they are now a coach so it's not always the case but i think i see mm. it myself i've never played on the highest level but um if you get your your license badges um and you get a bit of um yeah let's say connections of course you you got a yeah. good network and yeah, you are free to, to coach whatever you want if you're good good enough. And I think this is slacking in the other countries. Look at, at, at the Premier League. I think I can't really name more than one or two young English coaches who I think mm. they got a great future. Maybe, maybe there's Graham Potter, but he yeah. also went, went a strange way with over Sweden. So um, he, he did not really get a chance in England. So he mm. need to go to, to Östersund and make his mark there to go back to the Premier League. So um, this should be not the normal way for English coaches to coach into a, let's say, into a foreign country to make their mark. So they should get the chances in the second in the championship or in League One to, to yeah, get, a, get up the ranks. Um, the same with Flick. I mean, um, it was not really usual for someone like Hansi Flick to get a job at Bayern Munich because he was not really coaching a, a senior team before when he was in the national team but he was always yeah the second man or the third man behind Yogi yeah. Love behind um, some others so but he got a chance and I think this is something which is unthinkable in the Premier League at the moment I don't think that that the team like let's say United or so on, they, they would trust a coach who is quite new and not um, really, yeah, not really had it had his mark yet in football. Definitely, definitely. I just have to touch more on uh, Hansi Flick now. How stunned are people in Germany by what Hansi Flick has achieved, especially last season? Yeah, well, I mean, 
if you follow my Twitter, you notice I'm not the biggest Bayern Munich fan at yeah. all. So I quite, I, I mean, it's it's the same with all the big clubs in their country. You either hate or you, you love them. I, I hate them to say it like that. Um, but you have to respect him because um, I think since 2018-2019, every season people in Germany think, okay, Bayern Munich, they won the, the Bundesliga for seven or eight years. Some, somewhere there should be a break. In the, if you look mm. at the past 15 years, there was never really a reign where a team won more than six, seven, eight, nine, ten titles in the Bundesliga. There were always a season where there was the contenders who won it. Mm. And I think for three or four years, every season, the people think, ah, now is the season where Borussia Dortmund, Leverkusen, yeah, they really Leipzig, where they finally get over Bayern because I mean, Bayern Munich lost a lot of key players in the past. They lost Robin, they lost Ribery, yeah, they, they lost Thiago. Um, they will lose Alaba next season. So it's not like um, it went everything right for them in the past. There were a lot of signs that were telling you that they get let off last season or this season. Um, and even when they when they hired Kovac. Um, and it didn't work out with him. I really thought this is the season where they really struggle. Um, yeah, and then Hansi Flick took over. And I think you really need to give him respect because what he achieved with them in, in the shortest of times in a difficult season, it was still a Corona season. So um, not, not that much time to train, not that much time to really implement your ideas um, with, with a game every three or four days. Um, and yeah, what impressed me the most is really his playing style. I mean, he got, he went all out attack in every game. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was the Champions League final, the, the most important game of the of the season. They were 1-0 up against Paris. And I mean, Paris' big strength last season was the counter-attack with Neymar, with Mbappé, with, mm-hmm. with, uh, with Moise Keane. And he, he went all out attack even in the last 10 minutes. They got like man against man in the defense against Paris because they just went on attacking and attacking. And I was like, why are they doing this? But it was just his style. And it was without any, yeah, he, it was just consequence. Um, and yeah, you have really have to, to give credit to him. Um, yeah, you see this season that it's not a style that is working for the whole career because you see that team suddenly adapt yeah. to it and um, yeah Bayern, Mun- Bayern Munich's defense is, is leaking goals the whole season um, they are just relying on Lewandowski to, to score the goal so I think they won't win the Champions League this year for me um, it's all about City winning it but that's on another paper but yeah like I said I'm not sure if this football works with every team in every league because it's yeah. just so reliant on yeah, having the better quality than your opponents, but um, yeah, for Bayern Munich, it was the perfect, perfect fit. I mean, just just a few days ago, they shipped three against Sport in the league. Armenia, Bielefeld, but no, I'd like to one that mentions um, your Instagram name, Game Pressing. Now, it's a term that gets thrown around by many people because Thomas Tuchel has come in, and people think he's going to implement this system and that system. Obviously, we saw. Hansi Flick uh, demolished teams in the Champions League uh, throughout the course of the season, last season with using gegenpressing. pressing. Now, would you like to elaborate more on the term gegenpressing? pressing? Yeah, well, I think Klopp brought this one up in Germany and then later to, to mm. England. So, um, yeah, I think the English word is counter-pressing, which yeah, um, yeah, basically means 
um, recover the ball as quickly as possible after you lose it. So I think Ralf Wagnick, um, the German, yeah, old German coach who was a pioneer of all this pressing stuff in RB Leipzig, um, mm. I think he said in the three or let's say six or seven seconds after uh, after you lose the ball, you need to get it back. Otherwise, yeah. Um, yeah, you won't have a chance to get it back because it's the, the other team has has the structure back. But in the first three or four seconds, the team who won the ball is not structured. The players are not in the right position. So that's the perfect mm. timing to get it back. Um, and I think this is a bit of a yeah a new thinking because in the past with all this um, Barcelona style mm -hmm. under Pep Guardiola yeah. you always you always connected dominance with possession so the mm. team who got more of the ball was the dominant team but I think um, in the last few years you noticed that you really need to yeah to implement a functional pressing system um, to really be dominant because if you don't get the ball quickly enough back. You can't really be dominant, and, and you saw it in the first games of Chelsea. They really tried to get the ball back as quick as possible to not allow your opponent to have anything of the ball and really pull the pressure on them. And I think mm. this is the future of dominant football to really, yeah, go into this this counter pressing to not allow your opponent any type of ball possession. Yeah, yeah, we see it. We see it with Pep as well. He has this rule where. <clears throat> He um when he loses the ball, he um he he always says he has seven seconds to gain it back, otherwise they won't gain it back. Um do you think now uh, um Tiki Taka could ever well, would I say redominate football again? Or do you think Gagan pressing will now stand in football forever? Uh, well it's hard to say. I think most things in football they they yeah. came and they've gone again, but I think um I mean, the, the German Bundesliga, um, they took it a bit too far in the past. I think it was basically a league full of pressing and gegenpressing teams, which was not good because um, you can't focus or you can't build your game just on pressing or gegenpressing because if you get the ball back and you don't know what to do with it, gegenpressing does not help you. So I think the main focus of every coach still should be on your, on your game with the ball. Because even the the worst teams in the world uh, who get who who are who are most playing on counter attacks, they still got the ball possession of let's say forty or forty five percent. So um, you really need to do anything with the ball. It does not help to get it back quickly if you don't if you lose it again. So I think you should not focus too much on the game without the ball because. Um, yeah, you win games by scoring goals and you can't yeah. score goals just with pressing and gegen pressing. So yeah. um, I think this is a thing that German teams went a bit too much into it because if you look at the Bundesliga, they are like, let's say 11 or 12 out of 18 teams who are just pressing and counter-attacking yeah. teams. And that is not really good to watch because it's just a back and forth all the time. They mm -hmm. win the ball, they lose it again. They win it and lose it. So I think teams or coaches should be good at focusing more on ball possession on all ball possession again yeah i see that there wouldn't be really be a consistent run going without actually playing the ball and scoring goals um now obviously you're a youth coach would you say to you how how do you get into coaching how do you get into this industry well it's hard to say i mean it's like um in Germany, you would say it's like a, a pool of sharks. So um, you get eaten quite easily in the in the trainer business, a coaching business. Sorry, because 
yeah, it's like, it's really hard to make your mark as a young coach because all the people want to get to be coached because yeah, it looks like a perfect job, the perfect business to work in. Um, we have that in Germany that every year the records are broken in, in young coaches who are register for the coaching batches. So um, there are more and more people, young people getting into coaching. Um, mm. And yeah, to really make the reality check, I can, I can tell you something from my own experience and the fact why I do not coach anymore because yeah, I was a coach for, let's say I'm 29 now. I started coaching when I was 24. So for five or six years, I'm a coach now. Um, and really it's not that nice and that good as you might think. I was coaching on, yeah, let's say, it was on the highest youth level so um, it was not at the bundesliga club but all the level just the level below it so it was in the youth level it was really the highest level i was coaching and um, i was getting 100 euros a month for being five to six times a week on the training pitch um, i've wow. not seen my girlfriend from 5 p.m to 11 p.m every day mm -hmm. so um, as you see that's not like all good all golden in the coaching um, coaching business if you get below that step so if you make your mark in youth coaching um, and you get to your first senior jobs of course it's getting easier you get more money the the training is getting a bit easier because um, yeah you can do it maybe full-time mm. but the way until you really earn money as a coach is really really hard you really need to be patient you have to get a lot of the de uh, dedication passion for it because otherwise mm. Um, yeah, people think you're crazy to go onto the training pitch for six days a week and getting like under 200 euros a month. Yeah, and we saw with Thomas Tuchel as well, when he was starting his coaching career, he obviously started, he got a career-ending injury, the same with Nagelsmann. And then from the youth coaching, he got onto a bigger club, he got onto Mainz. Uh, he, he started coaching Mainz after Jurgen Klopp left. Then he went on to Dortmund and now he's at Chelsea. So starting with the youth coaching could, could actually be really helpful for your career rather than being a, a pro player, right? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, if you're really, really good, and I think it's the same with players. I mean, there are a lot of teams who got a recruitment section for coaches. They recruit good coaches. It's the same with players. And I think if you really stand out as a coach, then you will get floated to the top quite easily because um, the not so good coaches, they remain in the youth level because they will never make the step from youth to senior because they are not just not good enough. But if you really stand out as a coach from your tactical level, but, but rather um, what, is, what is more important is your, your man management, your social level, because this is quite important. If you stand out there, you will make it to the top because um, yeah, a lot of teams, a lot of clubs are looking for these top five percent coaches um and yeah if you're not good enough you will remain into the youth level for your whole career and don't really make money out of it which can be really depressing but um yeah it's the same as a player you really need to work on it um, you need to to always try to improve yourself to get new knowledge um so it's not as easy as people think and that's why i now uh, yeah quit coaching because um yeah for me being six times a week on a training pitch, um, it was good. It was great because I love football, but I thought I should make a cut now and concentrate more on things that really bring me forward. And um, I think what I what I accomplished now in as an analyst in the last, let's say, 10 months, this is more that I accomplished as being a coach for six or seven years. So, um, yeah, 
it's it's hard to be a coach because everyone wants to be a coach so um yeah but if you make it of course it's a dream job yeah no sounds really good Arvin, do you have anything else to add about coaching there um just one more thing uh, i heard the bundesliga use this term that uh, the process of uh, Dominic, Domenico Tedesco at Schalke uh, and Julian Nagelsmann went through. It's called the term laptop coaching. And I didn't really know what this was until uh, a couple of um, weeks ago. And I just like to ask, what do you know about laptop coaching? Well, I would um, think I'm a laptop coach myself. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's basically a term for, I mean, people always look for fancy terms for things that have yeah. been for yeah. years now. I think laptop coach wants to tell the people that it's a new generation coach who mm. does not use the old methods that the old coaches uses but he yeah i mean he looks in the internet for new training sessions he is reading tactical yeah. blogs he's listening to coaching podcasts so um yeah he so basically you can say a laptop coach he owns his knowledge from the internet to tell it like that so it's not like he got his experience from watching other coaches or watching training sessions in real so he got mainly his knowledge from his laptop uh, which is a good thing because um, i think we should all use the the power of the internet because it's yeah. there and you should use it but of course there's nothing um, more important than actual coaching experience so no coach who got all the badges, all his licenses, all the knowledge, but he never coached on the highest level, he won't get a job. That's 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 the, the truth. So um, you should always have a mixture of, yeah, being a laptop coach, obviously, and getting mm. real-time experience. Yeah, no, that's cool, Arvin. You've, you've asked everything you want to ask about coaching. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, we're just going to move on to some more the players, as we all know, you are a tactical analyst, so I'm sure you've analysed this player that I'm going to start with a lot. I've actually watched a video that you did. I thought it was quite good. You said it was an amateur video, uh, obviously for OK Gundogan, but I actually thought it, was a, I thought it was a pretty good video. Yeah, we'll just move on to him. We've seen with some particular players this season, they have improved a lot, such as Douglas Louise and John, McGu John McGinn from Aston Villa last season. But Gundogan has seriously upped his levels this season. 11 goals in the Premier League and is Man City's top goal scorer in a team filled with the likes of Bernardo Silva, Riyad Mahrez, Gabriel Jesus. How would you say that, that Gundogan has developed his game to make him this lethal goal scorer? Well, I think it's a combination between, um, yeah, the new role for him, which allows him a bit more, um, yeah, offensive freedom. But of course, yeah, he really improved um, you never know what players do in their off-season. I mean, the off-season was not big this last season, but um, it looks like he really worked on his game. He always looks a bit chubby, to, to be honest. So he does not look <laughs> very athletic, but um, yeah, he, he looks really fresh and um, yeah, really athletic this season. Um, so um, what really improved is he's getting into the box so so often now. He really looks for these deep runs into the box where in the past he would just stay in the back or offer the short passing option. I mean, we what is quite impressive about Gunnogan's development is, I mean, he's not 20 or 21. He looks like a Finnish player already. So everyone knows what is Gunnogan good at and what he's not good at. At least we thought we have a quite good image of Gundogan, but this season it's all turning around because he shows us a whole new dimension to his game. And I think this is always amazing for people to see because I think no analyst in the world would imagine that Gundogan could score 11 goals in, let's say, 20 games. No one. 
And I think if players in their late 20s uh, improve drastically their, their game, it's always yeah impressive because um, you don't really expect them to do it. And um, yeah, but that shows um, to, to get back also to Jorginho that um, you never you never should write off a player because they can improve that much. They are all on the, on the highest level and you see it with Gündogan now. Um, he's asked to play a more advanced role in the, in the offensive game and he can do it. So um, yeah, you should never write a player off because maybe he did not do it in the past, but why shouldn't he do it in the future? Um, yeah, Pep Guardiola obviously talked to him a lot in the offseason to to tell him make these runs into the box because um, yeah, if you if you look at Gündogan's movement, you notice that there was always this, let's say, this shadow striker inside of him because otherwise you can't do these movements he got because he looks like he's always where the ball is. Um, he's always in the box where the ball is, is uh, landing. So uh, yeah. he got this instinct in him, but he didn't let, him, let it out in the past. And he's doing it this season and it's great to see. Yeah. No, yeah, I definitely understand that. But I like to almost compare Gundogan to Ndombele this season. We've seen a new level to Ndombele's game. He's kind of come out of his shell a little bit. He plays a little bit more further forward as a as a cam like Gundogan. I see him as more of a cam this season. And but I just want to touch on another Chelsea player, Mateo Kovacic. I I always see in Kovacic that he's always making these good runs into the box. He's driving, but if he can just work on his finishing and have some talks with Thomas Tuchel over the summer. I really think that Kovacic could almost get the goals that Gundogan gets with his ability because we all know that Kovacic has the amount of ability to be one of the best players in the Premier League. So how would you how would you talk about Kovacic as being maybe an attacking goal, uh, goal scorer in the future? Yeah, I think he, he must add goals to his game because if you if you have looked at the past few games of Chelsea under Tuchel, um, yeah, they really lack a a consistent goal scorer. I think, um, I mean, it's still early in Werner's career, but um, I always said that Werner is not a clinical striker. He mm. got a lot of abilities, but he's not a clinical striker. He never was. So, I mean, it was just because Leipzig, they created like 10 big chances per game. So, of course, he scored a lot of goals, but he's not a clinical striker. So, I think as long as Chelsea is not buying one, they really need to get these midfield players on the, on yeah. the score sheet. Mm -hmm. So, um, and obviously the likes of Harvard, the likes of Pulisic, the likes of Ziyech and the likes of Kovacic, they need to get um, in, in, in resp responsibility because um, Kovacic, he does not really need to organize the game because there are other players doing it. The centre-backs yeah. play a big role in the, in the, in the build-up. Jorginho is playing a big role in the build-up. So Kovacic can really concentrate on being this box-to-box -box midfielder with a priority of yeah, getting into the final third, a bit like Mason Mount, who's really good at making these deep runs. And I think Kovacic can do it because he, yeah, he is physical, he is quite quick, he got a good, good instinct where, where to be. So, um, yeah, that's really a thing that he really needs to, to improve because, like you said, he has the potential to be one of the best players in the league. Um, and he's still running a bit under the radar because he just does not have the big numbers and um, yeah if he would start scoring the people would um, yeah put another light on him I think. 
No, definitely. I 100% agree. But I'm a bit surprised that with Frank Lampard, obviously one of the best attacking goal scorers from midfield of all time. I really thought that I've seen Kovacic under Sari. He always has it in his game. He just needs a little bit of extra coaching, a little bit of more clinicalness in the final third, and he will be a goal scorer midfielder. But I was a bit surprised that Lampard kind of kept him in the the middle third of, of the pitch and not really in the final third. But do you think under Thomas Tuchel that he can develop him and and he can get the best out of him, such as with other players? Yeah, I think so. I think Kovacic is a player that uh, that Tuchel really likes a bit. Um, yeah, similar to, to um, yeah, I'm not saying Marquinhos because they're different players, but um, to say they are both quite complete. And I think Tuchel likes complete players because they can play many different roles. So Kovacic can play as a deep-lying deep playmaker. He, he can play as a box-to-box midfielder. He can play as a number 10. So um, he's quite flexible and versatile. And I think this is the basic stuff for Tuchel to improve because he got a, a great fundament to work with. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm almost sure that, that he will develop Kovacic because I think Chelsea will buy a new playmaker next season who, yeah, because I don't think Tuchel, even Jorginho is playing great at the moment. I think he's, I don't think Tuchel trusts him on the long term. So I think Chelsea will buy a deep line playmaker next season. So, um, yeah, Kovacic is free to, to really play this advanced attacking midfield role. Um, and I think Tuchel will trust him there. Yeah, no, 100% agree. I think that, yeah, Kov- we all know, all Chelsea fans know that he was our player of the season last year. And he does have bags of potential. He's in his prime at 26 years old. So, yeah, just to move on from Mateo Kovacic, I want to talk about another player, a new signing in the summer. I'm sure you're aware of him from his time at Bayer Leverkusen. He was touted as one of the best youngsters in the world at Bayer Leverkusen. I mentioned him earlier, 17 league goals in, in the Bundesliga in 18-19 season. He seems to me like a player who who really wants to succeed and prove himself up there with the likes of Haaland and Mbappe. I, I personally think he can. I've seen highlights of him at Leverkusen, not at Chelsea, but there's been glimpses that I've seen of him, like the Southampton game early in the season, where he seems to me as a player that is really worth that price tag. And he obviously has a future investment. So there was some issues in his role as an attacking eight under Lampard. He seemed to be doing a bit too much defensive work and a little bit more in the middle third of the pitch rather than, again, making late runs into the box. How would you see Kai Havertz fitting into Tuchel's system with the attacking eight and Mason Mount, Ziyech and Pulisic to, to compete with? And do you think Chelsea fans will finally see the 75 million rated Kai? Yeah, well, I hope so. I mean, because I'm also German, so I wish Kai Havertz all the best. But um, I think uh, before the season started, I was on a podcast um, where, of course, the people asked me about Kai Havertz. And I said that in the worst case scenario, um, when Havertz won't really perform in the first month, um, his body language um, will be his yeah, we'll, we'll not be doing him a favor because if you look at his body language, it's quite similar to Mesut Özil, of course. I mean, this comparison look is on lays on the hand. They both, um, they are not really involved in defensive actions a lot. And if you watch them, they always look a bit, let's say, I'm not sure what's the, <laughs> the right word in <laughs> English, but they are no pulisic. So they are not running back, they're tracking yeah. back, they want to get into the game for the sake of it. So if they don't score, if they don't assist and they don't really get on the ball very much, it looks like they are not really, there's no sense in playing them. 
Mm -hmm. So I think we, we have the worst case now, because if you look the, at the last three or four months, Harvard is not really performing well. We can say that by, by all honesty. So, um, so we need to find the reason. I think a big reason still is his uh, COVID-19 um, um, infection, because yeah. I think um, yeah, people underestimate the effects of it. Some players reacted well on it, but I think Harvard really struggled with it. So I think still he's not fully fit. And I think a player like Harvard, who's still young, he needs to be fully fit to perform. Um, but of course, on the other hand, um, I think Lampard did not really find the right positions for him, which is not easy to find because yeah. he's not a striker for me. He played there at Leverkusen because Leverkusen did not have any other striker who could score regularly. So he was quite the, the only alternative to play there. Um, I think his best role is in a, yeah, let's say in a free position behind the striker as a number 10, as a shadow striker. Um, but of course, you really need to, to adapt your system to him. And I'm not sure if Tuchel is willing to do it right now because um, it's all about results in his first season because Chelsea needs to get mm. top four football to play Champions League next season. Um, and I don't think Tuchel wants to experimentize too much this season, even if it's his German fellow Harvard. He can't really allow to give him too many um, yeah, chances without him mm -hmm. performing. So I think this season... I have doubts that you will really get, that you will really see the best of him. But of course, then it's summer, it's um, it's off season. Um, yeah, it's it's the world, it's the European Championship, of course. So it's not that much time. But I think a full preparation season with Tuchel in charge um, will, of course, help Harvard. Um, yeah, you see, you saw glimpses of what he can produce in the final yeah, third yeah. because. Um, yeah, if he gets the ball into the final third with a bit of space around him, he is so, so dangerous. But um, yeah, I think the opponents did well also. I mean, they, they did not allow him much space. You, you always have to, to credit the opponents. I mean, they all know that Harvard is a great player. Um, so they, they, they closed him down a lot of times. They did not allow him any type of space. And then he find it hard to, to really get into these positions. But I think, um, yeah, this is Tuchel's main task to... Yeah, to find the formation, to find a system that allows Harvard to get the balls into the final third with a bit of space where he can operate. I think a small space is enough for him because he's so so good at it, but he needs this yeah, this space into the positions. Yeah, no, definitely. But just to maybe go back to COVID-19 and say that that could have affected him a little bit. But moving away from the whole the whole situation that this season, he ha you could say that he hasn't really adapted to to the league, maybe the the Premier League, obviously. But there's been a lot of rumors that have gone out from players that have come out and said that the Premier League and the Bundesliga have a big physicality difference. And Arvin is a Bayern Munich fan. He does disagree with that and say that they are pretty similar leagues in terms of physicality and and tactics mm -hmm. and ability. How would you talk about the difference and maybe players needing to adapt to a new league and the difference between the two leagues? Oh, it's always hard to say. I mean. The, the German football fans, they always tend to praise the Bundesliga. In my opinion, the Bundesliga is far worse than the Premier League. That's my opinion because, um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't... Some people, they tend to compare the, the, the leagues, the different leagues, La Liga, Serie A, Premier League, Bundesliga, by comparing the results in the international competitions like the Europa League or the Champions League, which is nonsense for me. Um, and if you if you just look at the 
at the games inside the league, you, you notice that the Premier League is just a higher quality because there are better players playing in the Premier League. So um, I'm not sure if it's more intensive because, like I said, the Bundesliga is quite famous for their pressing, for their for their game pressing. So I mm. think the Bundesliga is quite physical and intensive. But of course, the Premier League just got the better players. That's a fact. So um, if you have a league full of good players who are better than the other league, of course, it's harder for you to, to adapt to it because, um, yeah, you got better defenders, you got better center backs who mark you. So um, I think it's not as easy to play in the Premier League as it is to play in the Bundesliga because, the, yeah, mainly the defenders are just better. They are better individuals. So, um, yeah, that's, I think that's the problem <laughs> players like Harvard's face at the moment because... Mm -hmm. They face players like Van Dijk, who's injured now, of course, but he faces players like the defense, defenders of Leicester City who are all physical and not like in the Bundesliga where the players are not just as good as the <laughs> Premier League. I mean, that, that sounds harsh. and I think a lot of German fans would disagree with me, but for me, that's a fact. And if you face better players, you tend to struggle more and need to adapt more. Yeah, definitely. Just to mention, just to talk about the Bundesliga a little bit, I do follow a lot of Schalke 04 games. I just want to talk about Schalke a little bit. This season, we've seen a little bit of a continuation of, of the post-lockdown last season where Schalke just losing games. But when I watch Schalke and, and look at their team lineups, I always think this team is good enough to be competing in the top 10 of the table. I think they have a better squad than the likes of Union Berlin and other teams, but... This season and last season, David Wagner lost control of the players, you could say, fell out with the board and ultimately lost control of his, his star player, Alexander Nubel, in goal. And this season, we've had three managers. Christian Gross has come in and it's looked a lot better. We, 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 we beat Hoffenheim 4-0. And how would you kind of sum up the downfall of Schalke? What would you say it's down to? And how would you think it's looking for their, for their survival hopes? Yeah, I think it's it's not enough to really just look at their at their tactics and their team because, like you said, their their squad is still good enough to be a midfield mm -hmm. team at least. I mean, maybe it's not as good as people make it because I think it's quite dangerous to just look at the names because players like Mark Us or Salif Sané or players like um, like uh, Suat Serda they mm -hmm. live of their name. They are they they haven't performed for years now, so it's not like um, people are waiting for them to perform, of course, but um, I don't think they are that good anymore. So um, this, this was the same like with, with the Hamburger uh, SV in the past. Um, they had mm -hmm. always a great squad, but um, yeah, if you are in such a downfall like Hamburg were and like Schalke is now, I think there are just two or three possible solutions. The one solution is that you really get in... Uh, let's say, a really innovative coach, um, a bit like Tedesco, but I don't like Tedesco, his style of play, but the, but the type of Tedesco. So a young coach who brings in new ideas, who does not look at names anymore, who brings new players in, who brings youth players in, so a whole new takeover by a young coach. This would be solution number one. Solution number two is, yeah, to get relegated and then start over new again. So teams like Stuttgart did it in the past. Teams like Borussia Mönchengladbach did it successfully. Eintracht Frankfurt did it. Cologne did it. They were all relegated, connected their powers again, and then they, they now create Bundesliga teams. So that would be solution number two. But of course, Schalke getting relegated is nothing mm. you can really imagine because 
they've played in the Champions League and in the top half of this of the Bundesliga for so many yeah, years sure. now. Um, yeah, and the third season is to 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 try to solve it with money, but I think they tried that for too long now. They they bought so many expensive players and it just did not work because the whole atmosphere is so toxic mm -hmm. that um, it looks like every player you bring in at Schalke, um, yeah, he, he immediately gets worse. Um, it happened to Utz, it happened to yeah, nearly every player. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I don't really think, um, I always thought that they should, for some reason, they, they can still survive in the Bundesliga, but I looked at the Bundesliga table yesterday and, <laughs> yeah, I was surprised that they're really that far behind the, the relegation place. So I think it could, could really hit them this season. I think the chances for them to stay up are in the low 30%. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think um, if they get relegated, it's a big, big, Yeah, yeah, it's it's like a tragic for the club because the fans, the Definitely. fan base, they deserve more. But I think on the long term, people need to realize that this is the best solution because um, yeah, I don't think Schalke will get um, bankrupt after one season in the second Bundesliga, of course. But they should get up the season afterwards because otherwise they, they will <laughs> get financial problems. But I, I think that could be a solution, really, to bring in the new players, to bring youth players in. They have a great, great, um, a great under 90s team. Um, yeah, with players like um, Bosco Dan coming in, with players like Matthew Hopper coming in. Um, mm -hmm. So they got great talents. But of course, we all know that when you're in a, in a relegation fight, these young players have a hard time to really. Yeah, get into the team because you you trust your experienced players in the decisive moments. So um, I think all the young players they would have a great time to really play without pressure. I mean, all the young players they they play like under 100% pressure for the for the last two years, which is not really good for their development. I think. Yeah. No. You mentioned a player just earlier that I was actually going to touch on a minute, Matthew Hoppy. When he came into the first lineup against Hoffenheim, I seriously, hand on heart, I've never heard of this guy. And I watch a lot of Schalke youth games. I've never heard of Matthew Hoppy. He came in and he scored a hat-trick. But there's something about Hoppy that I think that maybe his touch could be improved, that his hold-up play could be improved. But he is a clinical goal scorer. He scored a really good finish. and He scored five goals already, sorry, in in the Bundesliga, I think, so far. And he seems like a good player to me. But there is some there are some functions to his game that could make him up there. But it's a good start for a 19-year-old. How would you describe Hoppy so far? Yeah, I think you you uh, summed it up quite well. Yeah, he's a, a, cl a clinical striker, and I like these these clinical strikers because, in my opinion, a striker's main task is to score goals. I think we we came from we come from a time now where people expect everything from a striker, but a striker should score goals. <laughs> and Matthew Hoppe is quite good at scoring goals. I agree with you. His first touch is not that good. He looks a bit clumsy. Um, mm. His movement is not 100% smooth and he does not look like, yeah, everything is in the right place when he runs and he touches <laughs> the ball. But yeah, he's clinical. And I think um, even though I think Klaasian Hundela won't play a big role on the pitch because it looks like he always gets injured because, yeah, if you, if you, if you reach a specific age and you get to this point where you have injury problems one time, it's hard to to get off that because, um, yeah, your body does not react well to this injury. And I think I can't see Huntelaar play more than 
three or four games in the in the rest of the season. But off the pitch, of course, Hunter can be a great role model for Hobby because for they're sure. quite similar players from their yeah from their style of play. They're both like these poacher type of strikers. So yeah, I think he should try to get as much from Hundela as he can in the in the last uh, six months of the season or five months. Um, but um, yeah, I don't think um, his numbers will remain, so he won't score 10 or 11 goals this season. But of course, these are the players Schalke must build on because they can't spend 20 millions on players every season. It won't work because um, you see, it, it did not work in the past and why should it work in the future? So they really should work with these young players. They got plenty of them. Um, yeah, and as I still, this is the future of Schalke. So um, yeah, same a bit like like Borussia Dortmund, who built on these young players, and the same can be said about Schalke maybe in the future. Yeah, I know the Schalke academies had a a lot of praise in the past. We've seen players like Bujalab coming through, Theo, the the CDM back, Becker right back, and I'm not sure if Newbell came from the academy, but he's a class player, and I hope that the academy can help Schalke coming back from Bundesliga too, because it does look like an inevitability right now. That how sad it is if the fans are in the stadium right now. I'm sure that there will be absolute turmoil going down. But yeah, it's sad with Schalke, but. I think they'll be fine in the future and they'll, they'll come straight back up. So yeah, guys, we are going to start to wrap up this podcast now. I just want to ask Maris one more question. Just mentioning about data visualization, I just want to know a little bit about what it is and how it can help football in, in, in its own way. Yeah, I mean, um, I think you must be dumb to really close your eyes um, for data visualization because we live in a, in a generation now where yeah, there's so much free data available. I think if you if you ask people 10 years ago, you wouldn't imagine that you can find on, on pages like FBREF or Scout. there's so much data for people who can't afford Opta, for example, or, or Statsperform, the, so the whole, the big companies, but there's so much free data for normal people that they can use. Um, so yeah, I can just advise people to make use of it because, um, yeah, data visualization is great. Um, I mean, data is not everything. So I always say I wouldn't buy a player just because his data is looking good. I never praise a team because their data is good. But um, data is like a puzzle. It's, it's like a piece of puzzle for the whole thing. Um, I think there are, there are hardly any clubs in the world, big clubs who don't use data and data visualization anymore. So um, yeah, you need to use it as a coach. Um, you need to use it as a journalist. Um, I spoke to two or three universities in the last few weeks um, to, to sports journalism classes where, yeah, where I told them that they should really try to use data visualization and data in general, because um, yeah, in, in journalism, in, in football media, it's, it's getting a bigger and bigger topic. Um, if you watch football now on, on, on Sky Sports, um, there's a lot of data involved that we hadn't saw uh, two or three years ago there's expected goals was the first one of course because i think it's the, yeah. the most mainstream metric that you can yeah i mean you always have to to sell these things to the to the audience because mm -hmm. you can't come up with ppda with pressing per defensive action as your first thing because people <laughs> think you're crazy so um, expected goals, I think, was a good thing to start because it's goals and goals is what people understand and they know, oh, goals is important. So this was a good start, but you always see there are a lot of more metrics coming over the surface now. 
um, yeah, that I can just advise people to ride this wave because I think it's just getting bigger in the future. Um, and I think in 10 years, maybe we will be on a on the same standard as the American football and the NBA is now. So um, yeah, I, I don't think it's getting, it's, it's, I don't think it's just a trend. It's like a thing we will always have and it's always getting bigger. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I've, I've never actually explored into data visualization, visualization before, but after you've just explained, I'm sure I will in the future. But yeah, guys, Arvin, would you like to ask any other questions to Maris before we wrap up this meeting? Actually, just going back on um, the Bundesliga Premier League comparisons, uh, I know I don't like to talk about it sometimes, but um, <laughs> now in the Bundesliga, I've read a lot about this. There's this rule called the 50 plus one rule, and it's a rule that I associate with for the reasons of why the Bundesliga isn't at the level financially as it is at uh, like Premier League standards. So Maris, could you explain to me how does a 50 plus one rule, especially with the fans, affect for the Bundesliga? Well, I think it's a quite sensitive topic. And to be honest, um, I, I refuse to talk too much about it in my past podcast because I, I think there are a lot of German people out there. If I tell them my honest opinion, they won't like me for it because I'm mm. a person I focus. So my job is to analyze football games so i'm an analyst and i yeah. just focus on the football i i know that there's a lot of stuff beside the pitch that is not going into the right direction is it with money is it with corruption is it with everything um but i tried to always plant that out in my work because um i will yeah i now i can manage that all all good but i'm not sure how for, for how long i'm still able to plant that out completely because I think it's a big topic in the Bundesliga because on the one hand, you're right. Um, it's a great rule to have because it's, um, yeah, it, how should I say it? It remains the culture of the football. Yeah. Um, you don't have any league that is still, where the fan base is still so much connected to the club as in the Bundesliga. But of course, um, in the future, I don't think there is any other way than to do it like the other leagues do it because you just fall back to the rest of it. Um, yeah. So I don't have a problem with RB Leipzig. I don't have a problem with PSG Hoffenheim. I don't have a problem with VfL Wolfsburg. Yeah. I don't have a problem with Manchester City at all. So um, like I said, I, I understand the people who want to, yeah, to keep this rule because it's maybe the last rule that, yeah, that really secures the, the identity and the culture of the German football. But I don't think it will stand in the next five years. So um, I can't see any other way than to really yeah, make football in Germany a product. So let's say it's not a negative thing to be a product, but I think it should expand like the Premier League because otherwise you can't compete um, on the market anymore. Um, you just have Bayern Munich who are in a, in a, in a, in a place where they can compete. But um, if we really want to compete with the other leagues, um, there's no other option for me. But that's just my opinion. I, I need to add that I don't really have that much of a knowledge of the financial situation because, like I said, I try to focus on just the, the football stuff. It, it may sound a bit naive, um, but yeah, there are other people who can decide these things. I can't influence it can't influence it anyway so um i refuse to really make my head out of it yeah because i mean I, I was shocked by the fact that 
Um, last season, I think we saw when Bayern Munich beat Hoffenheim 6-0, there was a huge backlash of um, Bayern Munich fans um, through Dietmar Hopp and they were actually really, I mean, their, their behaviour was disgusting. But, yeah. I mean, that's just one of the examples. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the, the other thing of it. Um, if it's just about the money and about not liking the club at the, the club at all, I understand it. Not every I can understand everyone who dislikes RB Leipzig or Hoffenheim, but if it goes on a personal um, on a personal um, level, I think there is a border for me. So you can't um, you can't um, yeah just slander private people because you don't like that they spend money for a club. So. Um, yeah, but this is a topic I think we can spend a whole new podcast on. And, oh, yeah, and like definitely. I said, I, <laughs> I, I always refuse to talk about it because my my opinion of it all is yeah. not really uh, not really similar to what most Germans think. So I don't want to to talk too much about it. But like I said, I think it's a, a very sensitive topic with a lot of mm. pro and contra. And I understand everyone who got their opinion. But for me, um, it's all about if the Bundesliga wants to compete with the other leagues in the future or not. And yeah. For that, this from this fundament, they need to decide what to do in the future. Yeah, no, that's completely understandable. It's quite a sensitive topic, but yeah, guys, I'm gonna wrap this podcast up now. I think we've had a good discussion, covered a lot of points. Just some final thoughts, Arvin. Have you enjoyed the podcast? And anything you'd like to say to your fans? Um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed chatting to uh, Marius. I feel like uh, it's a really um, it's a pleasure having Marius on the podcast and talking football. Yeah, that's good. And Marius, have you enjoyed the podcast today? And would you like to plug anything down, like your any work you've done or anything like that? Yeah, thanks for the invitation. Really enjoyed talking with you guys. Um, yeah, I mean, you can you can add me on Twitter, of course. You can follow me. I um, do some data visualization there that you might find inspiring. And yeah, I I offer some tutorials. So if you want to get into data visualization and write a wave, um, yeah, I'm. I'm you can be free to join my, my Patreon with my tutorials. Um, and yeah, other than that, enjoy your weekend, watch a lot of football, and yeah, see you next time. <laughs> not Schalke. <laughs> no, no, better not Schalke if you want to enjoy Yeah, not Schalke. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, guys, I'm your host, Taron, and I've actually really enjoyed this podcast. Interesting to talk with Marius and Arvin today. But I'll see you later. Have a good day, and take it easy. Make sure to keep things perfect. Bye.